coming up next on the Holistic Wealth Podcast. Because if we're balancing fatigue, lack of sleep, energy levels, um, concentration, it means that scheduling sex for a time of the day, for a day of the week, when she is maximally has the gas tank fueled, right? So when the gas tank is fueled, that's when we want to be planning sexual activity around. Not after the 11 p.m. news, not during phases of the of the day where she's, you know, sleepy, etc. You're listening to the Holistic Wealth Podcast with host Keisha Blair, author of Holistic Wealth and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. And now here's your host, Keisha Blair. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Laurie Rato, and she is a professor in the UBC Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and a registered psychologist in Vancouver, Canada. Dr. Rato holds a Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health. She's the author of Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire, and the Better Sex Through Mindfulness Workbook. So, Laurie, welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this two-part episode with us. We're so happy to have you back to talk more about the impacts of perimenopause with sexual health. Thank you. Such an important conversation, and I'm thrilled that we're having it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Laurie, in part one, you went over so many of the different like symptoms, what women can watch out for the different impacts with hormones. And so for this one, we just want to get straight into the meat of the impacts on sexual health and kind of some strategies that women can put in place to improve their sexual lives. So I'm just wanting to start, Laurie, with the question everybody's asking themselves, what can I expect? How is this going to change? I feel like, you know, as a woman, so many women out there are thinking, I'm going through all of this and... I don't know how to cope with that aspect of my sexual life in addition to all the symptoms I'm feeling. Yeah. So as we talked about in the first episode, one of the very common symptoms is vaginal dryness, which can give rise to pain with sexual activity. Also, if a woman is still having gynecologic exams for cervical cancer screening, those can be extremely painful. During the perimenopause, she might be using tampons for her sporadic periods. Those can be extremely painful. And painful sex can impact a woman's desire for sexual activity, which makes a lot of sense. If something hurts, your interest in that activity is going to go down. And so first and foremost, we need to make sure that the woman is using both a moisturizer and a lubricant. And so a moisturizer is something that can be either over the counter or prescribed if it has a hormone in it, if it has estrogen in it, it would be prescribed. But there's non-hormonal ones that you can buy over the counter. But these are products that are inserted into the vagina and really intended to increase the moisture. That's why they're called moisturizers. So they are targeted at decreasing pain with vaginal insertion. Uh, in, In terms of the estrogen ones, these come in the form of a pill or a ring or a cream, all of which the woman can self-insert all all on her own. Typically, it's a couple of times a week that those things are inserted. In addition to that, we talk about lubricants. And lubricants are intended to make sex more pleasurable. So they don't go in the vagina. They stay on the outside, typically around on the vulva or the clitoris or around the vaginal opening. Those should be used during every sexual encounter. And in fact, since I'm a sex therapist, I recommend that every woman use these young perimenopausal or premenopausal women, regardless of her stage of of menopause. 
And so these typically we recommend water-based or silicon-based ones that don't have added colors or flavors, things that could dry out the vagina or vulva. And again, these are really intended to make sex more comfortable. So have a bottle by the nightstand or wherever you have your planned sexual activity. And those two alone, the moisturizer and the lubricant, can make a significant difference for a lot of women. Yeah, no, for sure. And in terms of the mindfulness aspect, mm-hmm. because I know both of your books are based around that. And for perimenopausal women, uh, how can they use mindfulness to kind of increase the pleasure of their experience and to yeah. kind of, you know, not to be stuck? Because so much of it is psychological. Yeah. And especially with just feeling sick all the time with these yeah. symptoms practically. And so I'm just wondering how... Can they apply mindfulness technique to help them? Well, meditation has been around for many thousands of years. And, you know, the Buddhists have perfected meditation in, in, as you imagine, a Buddhist sitting in lotus pose on the ground for hours and hours or in a cave. And mindfulness is the kind of westernized version of that. So the secular version that doesn't reside with any religion or uh, cultural practice, what have you. And, and it's a set of skills that involve paying attention non-judgmentally and on purpose. There's been a lot of research on the benefits of mindfulness for managing things like chronic pain and anxiety and depression. And my own research for the last 20 years has focused on the application of mindfulness for managing sexual difficulties in women. Your listeners might be wondering, well, how on earth can breathing non-judgmentally help my sex life? Right. Well, the reality is, is that for a lot of women with sexual problems or let's say low desire, they get bombarded with negative messages in their mind. So they might have thoughts such as I'm broken. I'll never be normal. I'll never have a normal sex life. I'll never be in a relationship. I'm out of touch with my arousal. I'm too embarrassed to know my sexual health or communicate with a partner. And all of these negative thoughts and judgments can directly interfere with the body's ability to cultivate desire and arousal. We now have a a much deeper understanding of just how that happens. Like, how does having a thought impact one's physiological function? And we now know definitively that we now know that pathway, that without, without question, our thoughts can impact our physiology and our sexual response. So that's one way that mindfulness works. It can also help to relax a woman and st- and sexual encounters can be very stressful for some women. And so with stress comes cortisol release. There's also muscle tension that happens. There's also inattention. So a focus of attention away from, say, the sexual cues in the environment and a focus on the non-sexual thing. So, you know, maybe noticing laundry is the other side of the room or Focusing on a partner's frown or something else that's not very sexy. Uh-huh. And so that's another way that mindfulness works is it helps refocus the attention on the body's arousal, which then sends messages back up to the brain to continue that. So those are some of the ways that mindfulness helps improve sexual function, but it does a whole host of other things. It improves mood, which is really good for sex. It improves our awareness of our sensations in our body, which is really good for sex. It helps us be more compassionate, less critical. And there's lots of different ways that mindfulness can improve things like desire and arousal and ultimately sexual satisfaction. Those are some great insights, Laurie, in terms of mindfulness and how women can apply them in their daily lives to increase their sexual experience. But 
You know what I was thinking about during our conversation is so many women during this time find that they have different bodies, you know, than when they were like 22. And so they're coping with seeing themselves in a different light and even sexually, they're seeing a different body. And so you spoke about those neural pathways and the negative thoughts. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting, especially in light of the fact that there's so many ways that women's bodies are changing during this time. Weight gain, for instance, is a part of the whole perimenopause experience or can be. And so a lot of women are dealing with so many different things, not necessarily liking physically, you know, what they're looking at and kind of worried about what their partner is thinking. So I know that we spoke about the mindfulness aspect and maybe some of that applies to this as well as we think about the negative thoughts and how that affects our sexual life. But what can women do when they're in a position where they're thinking, you know what, I'm not necessarily satisfied with my body, with different aspects of the whole experience for me as a female. Any advice for women? Yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? Like, I know so many midlife women who will say, I'm exercising more. I'm prioritizing my health more. I'm eating better than I ever did. And I can't mitigate these changes to my body. And it's true. It's a physiological change that happens. Our metabolism slows. As estrogen goes down, we retain more fat in the hip region and midsection region. And some of those changes are completely unavoidable, even with, you know, excellent diet and exercise. And so part of one of the tools that mindfulness gives us is self-compassion. And that is, you know, that kindness to ourselves. First of all, that appreciation for all the effort that we put in to be healthy in general, but then also a lot of compassion for the things that are beyond our control. And this is specifically a skill that we try and cultivate in mindfulness, that non-judgmental awareness. And so one of the ways that we do that is say in a practice like the body scan, rather than labeling the body as good or bad, fat or thin, you know, effective, ineffective. Right. We focus instead on on the bare sensations. So we focus instead on heat and vibration and coolness and, you know, points of tension, points of relaxation. So we really move into the actual bare sensations in those areas rather than looking at it and, and labeling it in some way. And so there's some very specific mindfulness practices that help us cultivate that skill of being able to do that. And those would be very effective for this period of time uh, as women's bodies are absolutely changing. I know you'd have lots more in your book around that. There are one or two that come to mind that would be useful. So one of the practices, it's actually a, a more advanced mindfulness practice, is mindfulness of thoughts. And this is where instead of focusing, say, on the breath or on certain sensations in the body, we make thoughts themselves the focus of the attention. But rather than getting caught up in the minutia of this thought and then that thought and, you know, oh, I've gained 20 pounds. I'm a disappointment. My partner's going to leave me. I don't look like other women. <laughs> like rather than doing that. Right. When we have that first thought, we might say judgment thought. Right labeling thought, memory thought, planning thought. So we keep distance and we just sort of 
maybe create some space between us and the details of the thought. And that can be a really effective practice for um, staying with the body, staying with what is true and creating some distance from those negative and judgmental thoughts. But it's definitely a practice that needs practice. That's why we call it a practice. It's not kind of a one and done. It's it's one of those exercises that really requires us to use that muscle of mindfulness in our brain. That's very interesting and very helpful to that judgment aspect of it, which I know is so easy and much easier for women in perimenopause to get wrapped up in as they go through so many changes. And so, Laurie, I remember when you were last on the Holistic Wealth podcast, we spoke about different tools and strategies, like we spoke about scheduling sex as a way of enhancing the experience, increasing the anticipation. Are those, and I know they're useful for everybody, regardless of age and stage of life, but for perimenopausal women, do you think it becomes even more important? Critical. It's critical. It's mission critical. Right. Because if we're balancing fatigue, lack of sleep, energy levels, concentration. It means that scheduling sex for a time of the day, for a day of the week, when she is maximally has the gas tank fueled, right? So when the gas tank is fueled, that's when we want to be planning sexual activity around. Not after the 11 p.m. news, not during phases of the of the day where she's, you know, sleepy, et cetera. And so if we can start that process as a premenopausal women, you know, scheduling sex as a premenopausal women and normalizing it and celebrating and making it sexy and making it something you talk about, then it means by the time she does this as a peri postmenopausal women, it's going to be very easy for her to do so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. In addition to all of that, any of the research has shown, for instance, you know, foods, diet that also help women during this stage increase their energy or lessen kind of the overall burden of those physical, all those physical symptoms and any other type of not vitamins and supplements, but yeah, like anything that would help her increase her overall health in addition to her sexual health. Have you seen anything like that in terms of diet? Yeah. And how that overall impacts sexual health and and for women in this stage? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not a nutrition scientist, so I don't read I don't really read that literature. I'm sure there have been studies showing the optimal diet for to support perimenopausal women in general. It's the kind of take home messages. Right. Um, Minimize alcohol to no more than two drinks a week. And we now know there's new international guidelines that show if you want to reduce risk of heart disease and cancer and other issues, really women should not be drinking any more than two glasses of wine a week, which is really hard if you're someone who enjoys, you know, a nice glass of wine. In terms of promoting sexual health, there's been a bit of research on the Mediterranean diet, actually. Um, a little bit more so in men than women, but a little bit of it done in women showing that a Mediterranean diet, so a diet that has good, healthy omega fat, like through olives and olive oils and things like that, one that is rich in protein and good complex carbohydrates can all be really good for promoting kind of sexual wellness in general. Okay, no, sounds good. And just for my listeners who are listening in who are going through cancer treatments, Uh, Right now, I know some of them are going through breast cancer treatment right now um, and some other kinds of cancer treatment. 
can you talk us around kind of in terms of sexual health and their sex okay. lives? Because I okay. I can't imagine, you know, going through chemo and radiation mm-hmm. and thinking and worrying about, you know, your overall health, how that mm-hmm. must impact your sexual health. And I know you've, you know, done some work around gynecology. gynecologic cancer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and breast and, and breast and, and yeah. how that impacts women's sex lives. Yeah. Like I can't imagine yeah. how hard that must be. It's huge. It's a major contributor. We just finished a 12 week social media campaign where we shared the findings from one of our studies looking at breast cancer survivors and sexual problems. So we know low desire and vaginal pain are extremely common in breast cancer, but they're also common in gynecologic cancers like endometrial and cervical and ovarian, in some of the blood cancers, really in any cancer that involves treatment using chemotherapy or radiation. But and even a lot of surgical treatments, so bladder cancer surgery can impact the pelvic floor, et cetera. Yeah. First and foremost, we just really want to empower those survivors to have conversations with their healthcare providers as early as possible. Mm-hmm. So having a conversation around what can I expect right. in terms of how this cancer treatment might impact. And sometimes just being equipped for those changes can can be enough yes. to help navigate those changes that eventually happen. Yeah. And then some cities around North America, at least dedicated sexual rehabilitation experts within cancer centers. Um, And so making sure that survivors know about those experts that they can talk to, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes there might be concerns around how might treatment for the sexual problem, would that increase my risk of cancer recurrence and things like that. So back to the conversation around estrogen, et cetera. And so making sure that you are getting the help that you deserve. Yeah, no, that's absolutely critical. And thanks for bringing that up, because I had no idea that they were specialized centers, you know, in North America that are equipped to help people with these issues. So that's good to know. And so for them, Laurie, are there other types of I guess, you know, what we've talked around mindfulness and all of that also helps. Um, But I'm sure they face far more severe effects on their sexual lives and sexual health. So is there anything else that you can think of that they would need to know, you know, going through this? Yeah. um, I mean, just general support. There's lots of online support groups for cancer survivors. And that's a topic that often comes up that and survivors discover a lot of kind of comfort in hearing that they're not alone, that Mm -hmm. someone else is going through something very similar. And so don't underestimate the power of those general support groups as a place that you can talk about these intimate topics and and get support from other cancer survivors. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's so critical. Laurie, thank you so much for shedding this light on these issues for women, especially perimenopausal women. It's so important that women have this information because as we said in the first part of this series, that oftentimes women just bounce upon this stage in their lives and they're not equipped. And, you know, that's when they need all the information they can get. So Laurie, once again, thank you so much for being here with us. And again, I'm just going to ask you just to share with our audience where they can find you again, your social media and your website. Sure thing. Yeah. So you can follow me at Dr. Lori Brado. You can follow my research team and, and get the latest on what's happening in research in women's sexual health 
at UBCSHR. That stands for University of British Columbia Sexual Health Research. And then my website where I often link to other interviews and and I actually have um, all of my mindfulness recordings there that anyone can download and use. And that's uh, www.lauriebrado.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much again, Laurie, for joining us. This was great. It's going to be such an amazing series for women to share and to tune into time and time again as they need this information going forward. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking these really important questions. The Holistic Wealth Podcast with Keisha Blair is brought to you by... Have you joined the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Choose your membership plan at the Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. As a member, you'll get access to free worksheets, advice, coaching, and an intentional design workshop. As you start to live a more holistically wealthy lifestyle, you'll want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning best-selling Holistic Wealth 36 Life Lessons to help you recover from disruption, find your life purpose, and achieve financial freedom. 